and welcome to Where There Are Magpies, the pilot episode. Within this episode, I'm going to introduce myself and the whole concept and theory behind Where There Are Magpies. So thank you so much for joining me. My name is Jessie Doherty. I am 27 years old and my life became pretty much centred around grief at the start of this year in 2019. On the 25th of January, in the early hours, my amazing best friend, protector and mother, Annie, died very, very suddenly. Um, I was given around nine hours notice, so I was in no way prepared, nor was she. And that is what this podcast has sort of come out of. Um, I want to create a space where people can talk openly about grief, discuss their experiences, discuss their coping mechanisms, and just be a bit of a, a shoulder to cry on. That's what I'd like to achieve with this podcast. So today, I'm going to introduce you to myself, tell my mum's story, and discuss my journey so far. I'm only six months into this journey. Um, I don't know where it's going to take me. Every single day is different and I'd like you to join me on this journey. Twenty-fifth of January 2019, I can unequivocally say will remain to be the worst day of my life forever. My mum had suffered from a chronic lung condition that was being managed and she was improving, everything was looking really good and I had to phone an ambulance for her so that was the Tuesday Um, and she just took a huge attack, it was terrifying to see, she looked so sick Um, but once she got to the hospital everything was sounding really positive, she was up laughing and joking and I wasn't worried obviously I was worried but I just thought okay she's going to be in for a couple of days she's going to recuperate they're going to look after her she'll be back in no time and she wasn't um she never came back so that was the Tuesday night and the very very early hours of Friday morning she was gone it was so quick so brutal so painful and I'm not over it, of course I'm not, it's barely been six months, but it was, it was too sudden um, to even get my head around it for the first couple of months, really. Um, My journey has been interesting, to say the least. I've had to adapt to a lot more than just losing my mum. Um, she, she sort of, she really looked after me, like, I didn't know how to pay gas bills, or I literally, at her funeral, went up to a friend of mine and said, how, how do I pay for the gas and electric? Um, I was very much babied, um, she protected me from a whole lot, pretty much everything. I knew, and obviously paid my way, but I wasn't entirely sure where the money that I put in every month was going. She just had everything under control. She cooked for me. 
She made sure that everything was all tickety-boo. There would be a coffee waiting for me when I finished work. No matter how hard her day was, there was a coffee waiting. Um, from that, what I'm saying, I'm sure you can deduce that we lived together. And we had lived together my whole life. Um, and this was out of my choice. I loved living with her. She was a great roommate. Um, I could tell her everything and I just, I, and I still do, but I just adored her. She was my favourite person in this world. She was the one that I would want to tell everything to. She would give the best advice and no matter how sad or grumpy I was, she would find a way to make me smile or make me feel safe. And that was one of the biggest things that I felt leave along with her was that feeling of safety and security because I ultimately ended up alone in this house that we had shared that was full of her things, that was full of her spirit and photos of her and that was jarring and it did definitely delay reality for me for a while and I'm sure a lot of others can empathise with that when you have to, well it's not have to, I chose to live with her things as they were for quite a long time because you almost feel if you change it or change the way things look or the way things are that that then means that you're going along with it which sounds really stupid but it's definitely an overarching feeling as you feel this responsibility to carry on almost as if nothing happened because maybe if you do that for long enough it will become true it will become your truth that yeah, nothing did happen. Yeah, they're they're just away for a while. They'll be back. Um, that's definitely, definitely a hundred percent something that I held on to um throughout the first few months after my mum died. Is I thought in my head that she she would definitely come back if I did everything right. If I cleaned everything and did my chores and did well at living alone and looking after the animals that you know one day she would just knock the door hiya it was a it was a big joke <laughs> and I can tell you that is absolutely the kind of thing that she would do she was definitely a total trickster um I, I'm I'd love to talk for hours and hours about her but I'll try and keep it brief um I'll give you a bit of her her story she was born in 1965 she was 53 when she died which is horrific that's no age for anyone to die she was an absolute rebel from day one she was one of seven in her family her she was um first generation irish catholic in scotland and she <laughs> She was the true rebel of the family. She was a punk. She shaved her hair off. One of her first jobs was working for a workers' cooperative, which was just unheard of in Glasgow in that era. She had a tattoo before they were cool. And she loved the Smiths. She loved the Cure. She imprinted a lot of her music taste onto me, which I am so grateful for. And when she was 27, I came along. And from then on, we had our adventures. Uh, we've lived in Glasgow, which is where I was born, which is where she was born. She bought her house, the house that I live in now. Then we moved to London, 
when I was very young and that didn't really float her boat. And then we moved out to rural Ireland. We spent six years and that to me truly always will be home. And I think it was the same for my mum too. Some of her best memories were there. She worked as, oh I thought this was so cool. We stayed in a small village and I went to the local school and she became our arts and remedial teacher. So she dealt with a couple of the kids who had additional support needs and she was incredible with them. They came on in leaps and bounds under her care but I used to love it when my mum would come in and teach the art class and I thought I was the coolest kid in the school because <laughs> my mama was so amazing and she really was. Everybody adored her. So after we lived in Ireland we came back to Glasgow and from that's where we've remained. It's a, a great place, it's a beautiful city. Um, Ireland will always be my spiritual home just because because I had so many amazing memories there, as did mum. She always spoke about the air and how clear it was and how much she loved working with the animals and having 20 chickens. <laughs> and eventually we ended up with two little chickens in our backyard, which made her so happy. Um, she loved her life here. She was a big part of the burlesque and cabaret community which is what I do for a job she was adored by everyone in the community she was so supportive of me front and center at every show big smile on her face everybody loved chatting to her she ran her own sewing groups as well in Glasgow and she taught so many people how to make their own clothes how to make their own furnishings just giving people life skills um, and what else she took on uh, this was back in 2003 before the great big tech boom happened she um, completed and graduated from an all-female computing course where she met a lot of her close friends who remained until the end and she was a total boss she knew how to fix everything she was a DIY queen she was a plant queen she knew how to look after every kind of animal she always took in um, waifs and strays she would always buy the plants in the supermarket that were dying and bring them home and give them this beautiful lease of life and that I think is the best possible way to describe my mother in fewer words than I just have is that that's the kind of person she was. She was a protector. She was so kind and she is so missed. Not just by me, but by my friends, but by obviously our family, her brothers and sisters, that she has left such a a wound behind because it's not just a hole or something that needs to be filled it is a wound because the way that she was taken was exceptionally brutal it was violent and it's painful and I don't think it'll ever not be painful that she's not here of course it won't but it certainly has a good sting to it and I know that a lot of the people around me miss her so intensely but I will explain the name of this project, Where There Are Magpies, in a section a bit later on, which is something quite beautiful because in my mind, certainly, it's a little sign that she's still around. She's a very formidable woman and they don't really go out that easy. In those initial days and weeks, I remember I was just existing. I wasn't alive, I wasn't present, 
I was saying all the right things, I was smiling, I was feeding the dog, feeding the chickens, keeping the house relatively together. I started to go back to work and I was fulfilling commitments and smiling and telling everyone, no, 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 I'm fine, are you okay? And that was because it hadn't hit me. I was, you know, my mum was on holiday in my head. Um, But I did start sort of looking around myself and there's a scene in the series Fleabag that I think demonstrates this so completely amazingly. Um, Fleabag is sitting on the underground and then the song Sail by AWOL Nation plays and when the beat drops in the song, everyone else around her on the tube is screaming and crying and it's so intense and raw. And that's kind of how I felt. Um, I, I totally empathised with that bit in Fleabag because I was looking around myself like on the subway walking down the street going I wish that I could just scream right now and just scream from the top of my lungs oh my god what do I do and you start looking at people in a different way I think and sort of looking at them going do you know what this feels like have, have you been through this are you holding it all together by a thread as well and just little things, little kind things ended up meaning so much more to me. So even if a cashier in a shop was like, you know, a a percentage more pleasant than they usually are, it was like a rainbow to me, you know, it just brightened up my day completely and it made me feel loved and appreciated, just these tiny, tiny little things. And I suppose the way I rationalised that was that my soul, I guess, was just crying out for any form of light or kindness or love that I was just grabbing onto with two hands. And I was, of course, surrounded by love and support from my nearest and dearest, but I don't know. I guess the struggle wasn't when I was sitting with people around me and, you know, cups of tea and trying to just get through that. It was, you know, walking down the street, having to hold myself together. That's when I found that it really hit that I was, you know, going, can people see? Am I crying? I wasn't even aware. And it felt like at times a completely out of body experience. It didn't feel like I was aware of what was happening, that I was in control at some points as well. It was truly a full on physical experience and nobody tells you that about grief. They say, oh, for the first couple of weeks I was numb or I didn't remember, which of course is true, but it has a very, very tangible physical effect on your body. You shut down almost. There's reserves that just kick in and you're on autopilot, but you do lose that little bit of control that you tend to have day to day without that level of crushing pain and sadness that you have to carry around and it's physically heavy which uses up your energy so that was something that shocked me a lot about my reaction to it um and it didn't that that certainly is still there in some form like if I'm having a bad day and I'm out and about I do start to kind of go can can people tell Do, do I look really sad or you're almost anticipating 
someone realising what you're going through and you feel almost watched at times but that's where anxiety comes into play and it's all part of the I, I don't believe in the stages of grief but I believe in the like almost spider leg sense of all of the emotions attached grief is not an emotion grief is definitely an umbrella term and you feel pain and sadness and worry and anger and guilt and sick. I know sick isn't an emotion but you feel it and all of it just just wrapped up and for me the way that manifested was that I I did just constantly feel sick and I felt very warm like I had a fever and that didn't I and I wasn't ill it was purely just the sort of overwhelming nature of everything that my head had to process and all the feelings that were coming up to the surface and that was again just it's these things that nobody tells you and that's why this project is coming into existence is because I want people to know I want grief to be something that we talk about openly for far too long it has just been swept under the carpet we don't talk about death we don't prepare each other for loss for huge losses for small losses for the effect that it has on you physically for the effect that it has on your mental health for the effect that it has on your friends and how to just cope you know you can read as many articles as you want about other people's experiences, which is all I really had access to. And there were a few things that I identified with, but I wasn't able to, to discuss really openly certain things. And again, that's why I wanted to create this, because there's just such a lack there. I couldn't come across any grief support groups. And that was something that I really wanted to do. I wanted to vocalize my thoughts and be physically in a room with other people that would have an idea of what I was going through and for me vice versa and to be able to offer support to those going through the same thing or something similar. It's very easy when you're grieving to just absorb the darkness and allow that to just envelope you because your world has come crashing down. It doesn't matter who it is you've lost. It's a huge pain and burden and such a massive thing for your brain and body to cope with. Your routine will change forever. You won't be able to call that person anymore. They will not be there. You will start to forget their voice. You'll panic because you feel like, I didn't listen to them enough. There will be so much guilt around their death especially um with sudden deaths because you do start thinking I you know if if I'd have known I could have done this I could have done that I, I wouldn't have stayed out that night I would have called back that time I would have you know got her her milk when she asked me to get it instead of being a little brat I wouldn't have been a bitch that day I would have held myself together and it's almost impossible to get past that mindset because 
it's not changing. You know, those things, unfortunately, can't be unwritten. But what they can do is get slightly rewritten with the better memories that you have of that person that you love. Because they, I guarantee you, would want to be remembered in their best way, not through the things you didn't do or the things they didn't do or the mistakes that were made or the crosswords that were exchanged. But it is hard to do that, especially in the very direct aftermath of a loss. All you will consider is the negatives and the things that you did wrong. And that is a natural thing. We do blame ourselves when these things happen. And especially if it's someone very close to you, you start to think, I wish it was me. Why did they have to die? And that's one step of the what is it, five steps of grief, seven steps of grief, I do definitely believe that bargaining is absolutely a stage, but it's, it's nowhere near linear as the steps make it out to be, it's, that's almost just daily, <laughs> you go through everything, but um, there's absolutely a long bargaining period, I think, um, I've spoken to a few other people that have suffered loss, and we're all in agreement that that's something that you, that's the hardest thing to get past, I think. Because why are you here and they're not? And that's a fact that will remain forever. And that's a big one to get your head past. And I'm not still 100% there yet, but it's something that I'm working on. It feels like there's no hope at these times that you could just drown in your sadness. And you very easily could. And to be honest, nobody would blame you for it. These feelings are overwhelming. You'll never have felt that level of pain or sadness in your life before. And it is unfortunately unrelenting because it's the truth. It has happened. There are some things that you can remedy and that unfortunately is not one of them. And it's the thing that you'll want to remedy the most and it's the impossibility and the finality that is so difficult to get your head around. And unfortunately, I don't have any advice for getting past that because that's just, unfortunately, how we all have to continue. And even then, unfortunately, seems like such a small, insignificant little word for how painful that truth is. But at some point, you have to make a decision and you have to decide and listen to that voice of your person and hear what they're saying because they wouldn't want you to jump into that pit of darkness and be alone and isolate yourself and just waste away in the pain. They would want you to try and gather yourself up and do at least one nice thing for yourself each day and find tiny little bits of joy even when you feel like you could never smile again that you could never feel happiness again there will be something that will I promise there's something for every other person out there and I find that um, I watched a lot of YouTube I basically just sat and didn't think about anything and just watched my favorite funny people on YouTube until I laughed and that was something that I continue to do now. 
if I go through a really bad day, if a memory comes up that's really, really hard for me to process, or if I come across something of hers that is a trigger or upsetting, I'll stick my favourite YouTubers on and just forget the world for a little bit. And that's what you have to do. You can't wallow in the sadness because it will eat you up because it's so powerful. And that's a decision that I had to make and it's been so hard to stick to because there have been days where I have just let it eat me up and that I've just felt heavy and sad and missing her and feeling so guilty and all of those bad memories flooding back and that's it that's my day that's sometimes a couple of days and it just throws me into this horrendous place and then I start to hear her voice and she says what are you doing that for what are you wasting your life for doing that she would always always tell me that that life was too short to be sad And of course, she would offer that as advice in this situation. And it's that voice that I need to tap into to be able to pull myself out, to be able to call a friend, to do something nice for me, to really push to not go down into that spiral. And I'm not in any way shape or form saying that that has been easy it has been so hard and it's such a a choice that I have to make and ultimately I think the way that I've been able to do that is because I do it out of obligation to my mother because I again I hear her in my head and you know she would want me to live my life to the absolute max it seems like such a cliche and so many people say that but it's absolutely 100% true. Your person loves you, not loved you. They love you still and they don't want to see you crying or dragging yourself down. They want to see you smiling. They want to see you trying new things. They want to see you doing things in honour of them because that's exactly what it is. Pulling yourself out of that pain even momentarily, to do something good for yourself, for another person, for your house, for anything, that is the ultimate respect that you can pay to your person. As well as just generally trying to keep an eye on my mental health, and calling into people when I need a little bit of support. I have undertaken counselling. Um, I was referred to a counsellor through the NHS. I have been using the Sue Ryder video counselling service as well. Sue Ryder is an excellent, excellent organisation. There's an online forum available for anybody who is grieving um, to ask for advice or support from other people who are in the same boat and they are just launching a new video counselling service. You can go onto their website and register um, your interest or desire for it and they will put you on a list to have an assessment and then you will be offered, I think it's up to six sessions 
and I can say already that I am really really happy with this service it is such a fantastic resource so huge huge props to Sue Ryder for offering that to people and please take advantage of it because it's there for you so counselling has really helped me it's something that I kind of poo-pooed before my mum died because I thought what good is it going to do me sitting talking to someone when I can talk to my friends or I can talk to my mum and as soon as my mum was no longer there to be that listening ear I realised ah I really need to go and do that now don't I and I'm so glad that I did um, I unfortunately had a bad experience with the first counsellor that I went to see and that kind of gave me a bit of a bit of the spooks um, but after making a couple of new ones I've found my fit and I'm really happy and making a lot of progress. The other thing that I did um, in the immediate aftermath was I finally sought out um, antidepressants through my GP and that has been such a massive change for me. I have suffered from anxiety in a big way for a few years now and my mum had always told me no go to the doctors try and get yourself sorted out and I would say no because I was scared I was honestly terrified of having that label of going on these pills of I don't know I feel like it was I felt like it was a loss of control that it was a definite sign that I wasn't okay and I fought against it for so long until I couldn't fight against it anymore. Um, I'll be upfront and honest, it's uh, sertraline that my GP has prescribed to me and I cannot thank those little pills enough. They have calmed my mind down so much. Day-to-day -day life is so much more manageable. I Yes, I will say the side effects really suck, Um. I was super sick when I started them and it basically wiped out about two weeks of my life, which was not pleasant. And I can feel a bit zombified while I'm on them. But for the most part, they have really, really helped me. And I'm not saying to, you know, advise medication as a viable route for people that are going through grief or suffering loss. But it's something that worked for me. But that was something that I should have addressed long before I was forced to in this way. So that's the other thing that I've done to try and cope and it's really, really helped. I also added a little fluffy kitten to my family, my family of me and my dog. Um, I named her after my mum and her name's Annie Storm. <laughs> she is a little bundle of fun and joy and it was, again, another way for me to honour my mum. She wanted to get a cat so badly, um, but she was worried about the cost implications and feeding it. And I was very much like, no, nah, it's fine. It's fine. Just let's get one. And she was very grown up about it and said, no, we can't afford it. Um, and the minute I was able to afford it and everything was settled, I thought, right, it's time. My wee dog, Gloria, gets on so well with her and she's just brought such light to the house and I do feel like it's she's carrying on my mum's name and she is a wee storm and she has added so much joy to our lives and I'm so grateful to her for being her little kitten self and I'm really glad that I took that decision. Um, 
it couldn't it might have worked out really badly my dog might not have got on with her it might have been too much it could have been overwhelming but it has been a really really good thing for me and I think having things to look after and nurture it doesn't need to be pets it could be a plant or a tamagotchi (laughs) just that little something outside of yourself that you need to keep going and that you need to give love and attention to can really make all the difference um I especially found a lot of joy and happiness in my plants and seeing them grow and seeing them do well and it was like a little achievement that you know one of the plants had grown a bit bigger or wasn't dead um that certainly was something that I found a lot of happiness in and I still do I'm basically growing an indoor jungle now certainly doesn't mix that well with the kitten but hey ho we all need to coexist (laughs) so those are the ways in the immediacy in all of this that I have found my joy and my comfort and my uh, I don't want to say sanity again but my happy medium should I say I still get really horrible flashbacks and I do cry a lot and I do feel it's almost dread at least once every day it kind of comes back to me that feeling in the pit of my tummy that no I can't call her no I can't go home and see her and no there won't be a coffee waiting and that I'm sure will lessen but it'll never go away. So the magpie thing. I have seen magpies at hugely significant moments ever since my mum died. A little bit of backstory is that they were one of her favourite birds. She was mad for birds. If you saw any kind of strange bird out and about she would totally know what it was off the top of her head Um, but magpies were absolute special favourites of hers she taught me from a very young age to always salute the magpies and we always had the rhyme uh, one for sorrow two for joy that one and at so many crazy points of either loneliness or worry or happiness a magpie would appear one solitary little magpie And I thought nothing of it the first few times. But the more and more it happened, I started to really take notice. And on the day of her funeral at the crematorium, the trees were absolutely full of magpies. I will never forget that. And I clocked it and I remembered it. And then the more and more as time went on, when I was feeling sad or if I was really anxious, a little magpie would somehow find its way into my vision. And I am a spiritual person. I certainly don't believe that life ends after death. And I believe that that's a sign from my mum. And this has come at moments that I really needed that comfort, that I really needed just to know that she is still out there somewhere, guiding me, keeping an eye on me. And that's where I've started to find my joy, is in the magpies. Um, And that is why this project is called Where There Are Magpies. Because for me, where there are magpies, there is hope. 
Alrighty, so I'm going to wrap up this episode. I really appreciate everyone who's listened to this. It means so much to me and I will be improving upon this constantly. There will be hopefully new facets to where there are magpies sooner rather than later, but I am just one wee lassie, so uh, I'll do the most that I can at any given time. I'm going to be continuing this podcast with some amazing guests and friends of mine. I would like to give this podcast to all of you and I want it to be a safe space where you can talk about your people. You can talk about your coping mechanisms. You can talk about resources that you've come across and share it with everyone. And if you would like to join me on this podcast, um, even if you're not in the Glasgow area, that's absolutely fine. We can record online. Just get in touch with me at where there are magpies at gmail.com or you can get in touch through the Instagram or Facebook pages. Thank you so much again for your time and for listening. My name's Jessie Doherty and this has been Where There Are Magpies. <laughs>